Sing praises to the Lord, to him who rules in the heavens. Lo, he sends forth his voice, his mighty voice. Let us pray. O glorious God, we do adore you, because in your Son, Jesus Christ, you have given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You chose us in him before the world was made to be your holy people, without fault in your sight, because of Jesus Christ. You adopted us as your children in Christ. You have set us free by his blood. You have forgiven our sins. You have made known to us your secret purpose to bring heaven and earth into unity in Christ. You have given us your Holy Spirit, the seal and pledge of our inheritance. These blessings are tremendous, and we give you thanks and praise this day for them. All praise and glory be yours, O God. Come now and be present with your people. For we pray and worship you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first hymn is number two, O Worship the King.
Remember that our Lord Jesus can sympathize with us in our weaknesses, since in every respect he was tempted as we are, and of course our great weakness is our sin. Yet he was without sin. Let us then boldly approach the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us confess our sin against God and against our neighbor with a prayer in the bulletin. Let us pray. Holy Lord, though you created us in goodness, making us like you to rule over the earth in your service and have given us everything we have needed, we confess that we have rebelled against you. Hearing your command, we chose to disobey you. We have tried to live without you and to shake off our dependence on you. We have wanted to know all mysteries and have all knowledge so that we might be the masters of our own fate. We have hated each other, and were it not for your merciful salvation, we would have destroyed each other. Yet even this was not enough, and we rebels sought the storm the heights of heaven in order to create our own glory. In your loving mercy, pardon us. Redeem us according to your promise in Jesus Christ. Make us who confess our sin and repent of our ways a new people, loving you and serving you alone by the grace of Jesus Christ, filled with your spirit. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. People of God, hear the good news. Jesus Christ is the one ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. And Jesus Christ is the one who died and was raised for us. Indeed, Jesus Christ is the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. We receive it with joy and we say together, Praise be to God. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ you have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into his holy kingdom. This is what Paul wrote to the Colossian church and it's the apostolic word to us today. We have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into his holy kingdom. You have been given a new heart and a new spirit, and therefore, in the words of the apostle, I I exhort you to turn away from all that belongs to the old life of sin and walk instead in righteousness and holiness. Shun fornication, impurity, licentiousness, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, and selfishness, and instead manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ. Let us say together, Amen. Our hymn is number 314, O Wherefore Do the Nations Rage? Nations rage and kings 
bow our heads and pray for all those in need in every nation and for the church. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, we are your people. We are the sheep of your hand. We praise you for that, that you would, you would be so merciful as to take us to be your beloved children. We thank you that we are called and protected and led by your Son, Jesus Christ, And as he taught us to pray, we bring our petitions and intercessions to you. So now stir up our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit so that our prayers would be joined together and brought to you in his name, and that we would pray for others according to your will and your steadfast love. O Father, you have included in your church the lowly, the weak, the despised of the earth, You have shown us great mercy that we may proclaim your salvation to everyone and not just to the elites and the beautiful in our society. Strengthen your people throughout this world that they may faithful be faithful, that they would faithfully endure all trials and hardships by which your church participates in the cross of Christ. We particularly remember the Christians in China, in Iraq, Egypt, Nigeria, Iran. North Korea. We also remember the church in Lebanon and Palestine, and we remember the churches in our cities in the United States. We pray for our missionaries, for Charles Jackson, for James Fulkert, for Tina D. Young, for Mark Richline in Uruguay, for their families and those with whom they work. May they not fear, but may they continue to grow in the faith and hope and love of Jesus Christ. And we pray that they would be fruitful in preaching and teaching the gospel, fruitful in the name of Jesus Christ. Here are our prayers for the church in this world and for other churches that come to mind. For those who are spiritually blind and do not see your great salvation in Jesus Christ, for those who do not hear the good news of what you have done, for those who are confused, deceived, and full of guilt, may they hear your word and turn to you with faith in Christ. Here are prayers for those who come to mind.
In your wisdom, through Christ, you have created all things, and you redeem your creation. We pray that you would bring an end to all the evil powers of this world, that you would right what is wrong and come forth as the judge of your whole creation in righteousness and justice, putting away all selfishness, idolatry, greed, and violence. To this end, we pray for the careful administration of government, for our president, our senators, our representatives, our city officials, judges, governors, all some of whom are recently elected, we pray that they would be that they would lead us well and that they would seek for what is good for our society, good according to your your revelation, according to your good order. We pray for the end of abortion, we pray for health care that treats people as people officials who know what is right and wrong and will make laws that uphold what is morally right. We pray for the end of shootings in the cities and the freedom of the church to worship you and obey your word. Hear our prayers for our nation. Merciful God, just like Jesus healed the sick and received the outcasts, Help us to care for those who are weak and cannot take care of themselves, those who wander the streets and are hungry, the disabled, the poor, the elderly. Here are our prayers for those who come to mind. Our blessed Father, you have called us to be your church, united in Jesus Christ. Keep us one in faith and service celebrating the communion meal together and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We pray for those in our church and among our friends who are ever having difficulties in body and soul, who may be recovering or sick or grieving. We pray for Leah and her family, for Frida, Eduardo and Shirley, for Fawn and Bob, for Jeff and Linda, and for our friends Becky and Mrs. Mesner, for Karen and Bob, Angie, Tom, Phil, Dominique, and those we name to you in silence. May they be strengthened by your grace in their weakness and have confidence in your loving care. We do humbly ask you to heal them, give them peace, and guide and govern them by your Holy Spirit, so that in all their cares and struggles they will be kept in your grace and mercy. May they remember that we are always walking in your sight and that Jesus Christ is our salvation and comfort in life and death. And now we do give you thanks for providing for all of our needs, both as individuals and as your church. Give to us again the things we need, including enough financial gifts to support the ministry of your word and the growth of the church. Especially we pray that we would be able to witness to Christ more and more to those outside the church. And this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
that all who receive, we beseech you to accept this offering from your people. Remember in your love those who have brought it, and those who have moved it together. And so, Father, with your blessing, that it may promote peace and goodwill among all people, and in advance the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated and join me as we pray for God's illumination on our reading. Heavenly Father, we thank you heartily that you have given us your word and you've brought us here together this morning and are giving us a chance to open it and to hear directly from you. We pray that you would not just open our ears but our hearts as well, that we may absorb your wisdom and would be uh, blessed by it today and for many days and weeks to come. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verses 13 through 15. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which he has not been told for that which he has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Our Psalter response comes from Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I will establish your offspring forever. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones. O Lord God of hosts, with your faithfulness all around you, when its waves rise, you still them. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. 
the world and all that is in it. You have founded them. Our epistle reading comes from Revelation chapter 13. The first ten verses. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all people who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Finally, our gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. The first 15 verses. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The word of the Lord. Be to 
There's a lot going on in our text. We've been hearing the Word of God preached through the Gospel of Mark, and soon we'll move into the season of Advent next Sunday's Christ the King Sunday, but this um, will bring it into the current section of, of going through Mark. And there's a lot going on here, and I had to think about how to preach it to you, and you're going to see in a minute that I have to give you a fair amount of background for what Pilate is and what he uh, what he was a part of. The Bible identifies many different kinds of tyrannies in this world. There's the tyranny of sin, which the Lord told Cain. The Lord told Cain about it right before Cain murdered his brother Abel in Genesis 4. The Lord said, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain, of course, did not rule over it, and sin took over. Sin is not just disobeying God's law. It takes on a power of its own and becomes a tyrant in this world, and that's the way the Bible talks about it. It's the way the Lord talked about it with Cain. That's the way the Apostle Paul talks about it. He, in Romans, he talks about it enslaving us and the power of sin. Sin is a powerful tyrant that enslaves us. The law is another tyrant mentioned in the Bible, and again, the Apostle Paul uses the language of tyranny when he talks about the law God gave to Israel. Now, it's not that God was inflicting Israel with a terrible tyrant. It's that sin seized an opportunity with the law, and as Paul says, the law is good, but sin used it as an instrument of death. Our sinful passions were stirred up by the law. And in this way, we became captive to the law. But notice that word, captive. So there's the language of tyranny. The apostle refers to Israel's captivity under the law. Death is is called out as a tyrant in the Bible. It takes hold of everyone and brings our life to an end. Death entered the world and inflicts its power on us, and Paul calls it our last enemy that must be defeated. Also, the devil is a tyrant in the Bible. People are held in the power of evil, like we've heard many stories about the demon-possessed, but there was the demon-possessed man who lived in the graveyard across the Sea of Galilee. The devil is a crafty tyrant who seduces and tempts us, and soon we are caught up in the evil of this world. We've heard several stories of, of this happening with people in the Gospel of Mark. Well, that is tyranny. Actually, the Gospel of Mark picks up on all of these tyrants, sin, the law, death, and the devil, and one more, the state. The state is sometimes another tyrant that shows up in the Bible. So think of Egypt and its ruler Pharaoh. Egypt was a tyrant to Israel. The Midianites and the Philistine alliance were also tyrants to Israel. Assyria and Babylon became tyrants to Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Later, the Greek empire under Antiochus Epiphanes was a tyrant to Israel. And then along came the Romans. The Roman state is the tyrant at work in our lesson this morning about Jesus and Pilate. Now, the state, when we use that phrase, the state, it refers to the governing authority of a society of people. It's a political term. And according to Walter Scheidel, the state refers to centralized institutions that impose rules and back them up by force over a territorially circumscribed population. So you could have a a territorially circumscribed population that might be a city, might be a state in in our Uh, United States might be a state or it might be the federal government, but each of those are levels and um, 
and there are centralized institutions for each one that impose rules and back them up by force. The state, of course, would also include those who are, are under those authorities. There have been many states in the world. In the days of Jesus, it was the Roman Empire that was the state that was dominant um, over Palestine. Today, there's the Russian government, the Chinese government, the United States government, and so on. I think there are 184 recognized national uh, nations around this world, each of them being a state of some sort. The state is an institutional structure in the world, and it has been for thousands of years. Unfortunately, it can become tyrannical. We should not automatically automatically condemn government as evil. The state is an institution that God has put into place in this world for the benefit and well-being of human society, and we should reflect on that, especially when, for some reason, we're upset with the state. We need to remember the words of the Apostle Paul, who said in Romans 13, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Modern nations have tried to restrain the state's tendency toward tyranny with the balance of power such as we have with our government in this country. So I'm taking you back to your civics classes, some kind of government class you had. We have the judicial branch, the executive branch, the legislative branch, and they're all supposed to, to balance each other, right? Furthermore, the Supreme Court and Congress are supposed to balance the democratic will of the people, so I ran into a fellow who was collecting signatures for one of the proposals in order to get it on the ballot for the election last week. And we began to discuss the electoral process, and he told me with a dreamy smile on his face that we must make sure everyone gets out and votes because that's the best way to make political decisions in this country. The will of the people expressed by the majority. It's interesting that 51% of the people somehow becomes the will of the people, but that's the way it works. The majority vote of the citizens. And I reminded him that our nation's political structure is a democratic republic. It's not just a pure democracy. It's not just simply left up to the will of the people. There's nothing magical about the democratic will of the people. The will of the people can be manipulated, and the will of the people is often wanted what is evil and destructive. Well, our conversation didn't go much further. <laughs> like everything else in the world, the state has been corrupted by sin, and it has a tendency to become a tyrant. It doesn't mean it automatically is a tyrant, but it has a tendency to, to become that. The state becomes a tyrant when it wants to control everything. And this was true in Jesus' day, and it's even more true today. In Jesus' day, the Roman government tried to control religion, the economy, commerce, other nations, society. And it was limited in many ways, not least was the limitation of its ability to keep an eye on what was going on. The Roman Empire was huge, and so it was hard to keep an eye on everything. And even if something was, was known in one little corner, it took a while for it to get back to the Senate and to the Roman government in Rome. Today, modern technology has made it possible for the state to keep a much closer eye on what's going on and exert more of its power throughout society. So, for example, it can track where you go and what you do with your cameras and your face, the facial recognition and your cell phone and all those things. And with most technology, this can be for good, but it can also be for bad. When the state wants to control everything, then it's trying to be God because only God controls everything. The state trying to control everything is idolatry. 
And that's how the state is pictured, and it was the Roman state, but that's how it's pictured in Revelation. The beast, in our epistle lesson, blasphemies God and exercises authority over the nations, and the people worshipped it. That's the way it's talked about in Revelation 13. And there are plenty of examples of this, but a more recent example is just simply Nazi Germany. The Nazi party quickly took control of the government, then it took control of the schools and universities, the labor unions, the economy, and even the church. Hitler set up a Reich bishop to replace the bishops that were ordained in the church. And the family also was to be productive for the state and send its children to the national youth groups. And so Germany, the state, became a tyrant. Well, Jesus came under the tyranny of the state during his passion, and that's what we hear in our gospel lesson. He came under the tyranny of the state during his passion. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. This is what our text says. And the Jewish leaders bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, verse 1 of Mark 15. And we say this in our creed, right? Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. Pilate was given a political position by the state. All of this is assumed in our text, but we have to back up a little bit and see it uh, because we don't live in that world, so it's not immediately obvious to us. But Pilate was given a political position by the state. He was a Roman prefect, which is a way of saying he was like a governor. Pilate obtained the position of prefect over Judea during the reign of Tiberius from 27 to 37 A.D. So that's right when Jesus was crucified. The prefects were among the most powerful rulers in Roman society. They were chosen by the Roman emperor, and they commanded the military in their region. They also conducted administrative duties that were both civil and judicial. The emperor expected the prefects to be loyal to him above all else. So remember, Caesar's the top dog. Caesar's the head of this whole uh, state and the prefects were expected to be loyal to him, and he had chosen whoever was the Caesar was chosen had chosen the prefects. Pilate was known as a ruthless and cruel governor. Josephus was a Jewish historian in the first century, and he tells a story about Pilate. Pilate decided to divert the water from a stream into the city of Jerusalem. By the way, Pilate's headquarters was in Caesarea but he would come down to Jerusalem on occasion. And he decided to divert the water from a stream into the city of Jerusalem. He paid for the project by taking money from the temple treasury in Jerusalem. But the Jews were unhappy with his plan. I'm sure they were unhappy with him taking their money, but also with uh, his plan. So thousands of them gathered outside his residence and shouted for him to abandon the project. Pilate sent disguised soldiers in among the people in the crowd, and they hid daggers under their cloaks. He came and stood in front of the people, and he told them to go home. And when they refused, he signaled to his men to attack the people. And we're talking about thousands of people here, according to Josephus. Josephus, Josephus says, They laid upon them much greater blows than Pilate had commanded them, and they equally punished those that were tumultuous and those that were not nor did they spare them in the least. And since the people were unarmed and were caught by men prepared for what they were about to do, there, was a, there were a great number of them slain by this means, and others of them ran away wounded. In other words, there was this, this massive assault upon the crowd that were protesting. There's another writer named Philo. He was a Jewish philosopher. He calls Pilate 
an inflexible, merciless, and obstinate man. Now, Mark doesn't tell us much about Pilate. He didn't need to, because the people back then knew of Pilate. They knew of his reputation. In our story, Pilate also almost comes off like a man who got caught up in the Jewish council's plans against Jesus. But in Jesus' day, he was well known as a harsh ruler for the Roman state. You see, it was the Jewish leaders that were making use of the tyranny of the state by, by bringing Jesus to Pilate. It's not Pilate somehow just ignorantly or, or uh, innocently working with the Jews. The Jews were making, taking advantage and making use of that tyranny. Now, as it gained more power, the government of Rome became more autocratic, and it wanted to control more and more of the world. Those who challenged the government were put down. So think of the slave revolts that were put down, like Spartacus, that old movie that talks about the slave revolts. Carthage and Macedonia, they were, uh, there were wars against those, and they were brought into submission. Carth- uh, Corinth was, um, was uh, in Macedonia, but that, it was destroyed by Rome in around, I think it was 140 B.C., and eventually Jerusalem. Eventually Rome comes and takes control of Jerusalem. Whoever did not submit to Rome would face its ire. Eventually, Rome wanted to dominate Christianity. It's it's growing in its tyranny. And this was some 70 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. But the Christians in various cities within the Roman Empire were told to offer worship to the Roman emperor. And so in the various towns and cities that were being altered, and once a year you were expected to come, by the end of the first century, expected to come and pay homage to the emperor to bring an offering and to basically state your loyalty and allegiance to him, but in a religious way, recognizing him as the Lord. And so that was happening at the end of the, the um, century and, and after that. But if you did not, if you, the Christians did not, bring that worship to the Roman emperor, then they were arrested and some were even put to death, and then you begin to get the martyrs. Churches were shut down, Christianity was outlawed, and Pilate, in our story, is a representative of this kind of authority and rule. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate and the tyranny of Rome. Now, we're coming to the end of the Gospel of Mark. We're coming to Jesus' actual death. We're in the stories about his passion. So all these stories through chapter 14 and into 15 are about his, his death and his passion, suffering death, and his resurrection will come. But in order to hear this well, we need to return to the beginning of the Gospel of, moment, uh, Gospel of Mark for a moment, just for a brief moment. Mark opens with the proclamation of Jesus of John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism. That's how he starts his gospel. And there are no incarnational stories in the gospel of Mark at the beginning. There are no birth stories about Jesus like the other gospels. The other three gospels all have incarnational stories, but Mark doesn't. In the gospel of Mark, Jesus just shows up. But that's not really saying it in a very sharp way. It just sounds so casual. He shows up. When I preached on Jesus' announcement that began his ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, I told you it was the announcement of an invasion into this world. So Jesus, yeah, he's showing up in the Gospel of Mark, but he's invading the world. He's the Son of God who invades the world. Jesus said the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the Gospel. And this is a little bit of what I preached to you. 
Jesus' announcement, that announcement I just read, is the proclamation of God's new order in the world, that a different era has begun, the time has come, the time of salvation and judgment appointed by God was finally here. It's the time of the gospel, it's the time of Jesus Christ. What happens with Jesus is the inbreaking of God's rule in this world. And when I hear that, when I think about that and talk about it, I like to think of the imagery of Isaiah chapter 64, not, not our Old Testament lesson, but Isaiah 64, where the prophet cries out to God, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Jesus is God coming down. He rends the heavens and comes into our world. God has asserted his authority. He has asserted it in such a way that all the tyrants are conquered. The invasion of Jesus Christ is the invasion of God's dominion in this world. And it may be hard for us to believe this with the upheavals in our politics and the resurgence of tyrannical states in this world, but that's what the gospel declares to us. Jesus is the Lord who takes on the tyrannies of this world, sin, the devil, law, death, and the state. This gives us perspective on Jesus standing before the Roman governor, Pilate. Yet Jesus seems so helpless before Pilate. Pilate is the one calling the shots in our story. Pilate does most of the talking in our text. Jesus is not like those political activists who shout down their opponents with a barrage of words and accusations. Those who say they speak truth to power. Whether they speak truth or not is open to question, but they do speak and they have plenty to say. They are belligerently verbose. Sometimes their words are so profuse that they're just rambling. It's just like they just want to talk. Jesus speaks only once in our text before Pilate. Pilate asked Jesus a question, are you the king of the Jews? It's similar to the high priest question when Jesus stood before the Jewish council, but Pilate has rephrased it. The high priest asked Jesus, are you the Messiah, the son of the most blessed, meaning God, the son of God? Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? For the Jewish leaders, it was a religious question. For Pilate, it was a political question. The state that wants to dominate everything cannot tolerate the invasion of a king. It means it would lose control. A king poses a threat to the Roman Empire. So thinking like a a tyrant, Pilate did not want a threat to the rule of Rome to start up in his territory. The Roman government was sensitive to this kind of thing. There had been several political uprisings. They wanted to take that wanted to take down the Roman emperor. There had been many individuals who wanted to become the new emperor, and Pilate wondered if Jesus was one of these. And how did Jesus answer Pilate? He says, you have said so. That's it. No barrage of words, no long-winded speaking truth to power. He just says, you have said so. It's not a yes or a no. But if Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth, if he's the king of creation, should he not have responded with a firm yes? Well, Jesus did not allow Pilate to determine what kind of a king Jesus is. Yes, Jesus is the king of the Jews, and he's not only king of the Jews, he's also king of the Romans and the whole world, but not the way that Pilate would have understood a king. Not 
the kind of king that Pilate was or ruler that Pilate was. Jesus is not a tyrannical king who unjustly destroys his adversaries. Jesus is not a king who must constantly outsmart his enemies. Jesus is not a king who tries to control the weak and the vulnerable for his own gain. Jesus is not a ruler who lusts for power to the extent that he will destroy in order to get it and keep it. Jesus is the king who is the creator and redeemer of the world. And that's why he does not shout and blast Pilate and the Jewish leaders with words. Words don't make him king. Tyranny does not make him king. He is Lord of this world because he's the Son of God. And what kind of a king is he? Well, he's the king who goes to the cross as the servant who saves us. Jesus is the king who suffers and dies for us and in so doing defeats the tyrannies of this world. And that is a king that Pilate did not understand, nor did the Jewish leaders, nor do any of the tyrants in this world. The state definitely does not understand that kind of a king. The closest I've heard of a servant king in, in our world is when the king, and I'm not going to get his name right, but Jigme Shing Wangchuk of Bhutan stepped down in 2008. I don't know if you remember this story. It struck me. In 2008, he was king of Bhutan. He voluntarily abdicated his throne in order for the kingdom to adopt a constitution and elect a parliament. And that's rare. That's rare among nations and governments of this world. However, even this is not the same as a king who goes to his death in order to save the world. Pilate's understanding of a king was too parochial. It, was, it fit too much the mold of politics in this world. Jesus is not that kind of king. He's the Lord who suffered under Pontius Pilate. Jesus stood under tyranny on his way to the cross in order to defeat the state's tyranny. Now, once the Jews handed, over, uh, handed Jesus over to Pilate, Jesus was under Roman tyranny until he died on the cross. So he passes, he's passed from the Jewish council to the court or to the presence of Pilate, and after that, he's under Roman tyranny all the way to the cross. The Romans kept Jesus bound. The Roman soldiers punished him with blows. Pilate ordered Jesus be put to death. The Roman guard escorted Jesus to Golgotha, nailed him to the cross. The Romans stood guard while Jesus hung on the cross and died. All the way to his death, Jesus was surrounded by the tyranny of the Roman state. But then Jesus rose from the dead. Mark concludes the gospel with the story of Jesus' resurrection. The women who followed Jesus went to Jesus' tomb to anoint his body, but they discovered the tomb was empty. And there was an angel who told the women that Jesus was not in the tomb because he had risen. Roman tyranny tried to control Jesus, but it could not. Jesus broke the state's tyranny. The state could not control everything. You see what that means? The resurrection means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is that the Roman state and the Jewish, Jewish leaders could not control Jesus. Jesus revealed that the state is not Lord over all, and that goes for all states and all governments. They're not Lord of all. There's a tapestry that I saw in a museum with a woven depiction of Jesus' resurrection. And it shows Jesus standing tall, radiating bright light, triumphantly bursting out of the tomb, stepping over the rock, 
that was used to seal his tomb. Actually, that rock is broken into pieces, and he's stepping over it. And on either side of him are the guards who the Jews had posted as sentries. And they look alarmed and frozen in fear, laying on the ground. The tapestry explicitly shows that Jesus is not under the control of the state that put him to death. And it's not just the tyranny of the state that Jesus breaks, it's all the tyrannies of this world. It's sin, death, the devil, all of it. He breaks all those tyrannies. Jesus suffered under the tyranny of the state in order to defeat its tyranny by his death and resurrection. Jesus is the true Lord who controls all things. The church, that is you and me, we are to have an intermediary witness to the state that the one who is Lord over all, over all things is Jesus. That is what it means to be the Lord, to be the one who is ultimately in control. When the state acts in a tyrannical way, which is not always, but when it does, when it tries to control what is not in its control, then the church must witness to the state that Jesus is the Lord. And it seems more often than not that the tyranny of the state falls upon the weak in society. The church must stand between the weak and the state. The church must declare to the state that it is wrong to tyrannize the weak. And there are numerous examples of this. One obvious example is the state enshrining abortion. That's tyrannizing the unborn. The state has also been tyrannical to the mentally disabled. During the 1920s through the 1950s, some of the states in the United States, I'm thinking namely of Virginia, enacted a policy to sterilize those with low mental ability and those with other disabilities. It was part of an initiative to clean up the human gene pool and make society stronger. The church is to bear witness that Jesus is Lord over human weakness, not the state. The state has also been known to tyrannize minorities. And this has happened in this country with the Japanese, the Native, Native Americans, black slaves, and others. We in the church are to act as witnesses that the state cannot suppress groups of people because it deems them inferior. Jesus is Lord over the races of people. We must also be an intermediary witness of Jesus to the state that it cannot control the church. And sometimes the state wants its citizens to worship it, or at least worship the way it tells them to worship. And that was the case in the Roman Empire. That was the case in Nazi Germany. Today, that's the case in North Korea and increasingly in China and other places. The church must give witness that the state cannot control who we worship or how. The state is not Lord over the church. Jesus is Lord. Now, there are two cautions for our witness. First, Christians must not confuse what we are witnesses for. Our witness is for Jesus. Our witness is according to what he has done in his lordship and the order that he has created in this world, that he's in control of all things and the state is not. The state is not in control of all things, but it is given authority over many things. We might confuse our civil liberties with our witness that Jesus is Lord. The rights we have in this country are not necessarily because Jesus gives them. There are rights secured for us by the Constitution, but that does not mean that Jesus is somehow obligated to the United States Constitution. Jesus is Lord over the Constitution. 
Christians must be careful not to confuse middle-class values with the lordship of Jesus Christ. So we've got to watch it. We might try to be representing and, and being witnesses to the state of things that, that aren't what the Lord Jesus is giving us to be a witness of. The second caution is that the witness of the church is not that we are to be an intermediate of the state back to Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus. In other words, we're not to get our witness turned around. And it's easy to do that. Our witness is that Jesus is the one in control of all things, not the state. But this can get turned around when we try to push the state's tyranny onto Jesus. The church pushing states, the state's tyranny on Jesus. As if Jesus has to endorse what the state wants to control. And again, there are many examples of this. For example, the state increasingly wants to exercise control over gender. The church is not to bear witness of this to Jesus and declare that Jesus supports the state's control over gender. It's the other way around. The state does not have control over gender. The Lord Jesus does. He created it, and he maintains it. The Lord Jesus suffered under state tyranny in order to defeat it. And this is our witness to the state. When the state is tyrannical, it doesn't want to hear this. God, give us the courage to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of his passion and resurrection, that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast witness that Jesus Christ is Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let us stand and confess our faith with the creed in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table, we sing our hymn number 174, O Christ, our King, Creator, Lord.
introduction to remind you what we're doing here. We had the table down below because of COVID. We separated this, which was really uh, not, we did that by necessity. But now we're back to the table here. However, we're still going to have people come forward. Uh, if you come down the main, the center aisle, and then you'll meet me, take a piece of bread, and go take it. And then the elders will stand on either side with cups. And you'll take one of those and then pass back um, to your seat. And then, of course, we take it all together. So uh, we're going to try to remember how to do all this again. i got to remember what I'm doing. Uh, we do have gluten-free here, and I'll be holding both kinds of bread. So um, that's what we're doing today, starting today. This is the joyful feast of the people of God. Men and women will come from east and west and from north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. All who have been baptized, who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, and our communicant members of the Christian church are welcome to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. According to the Gospel of Luke, when our risen Lord is at table with his disciples, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This meal is not an ordinary meal. It is a meal obviously set apart by Christ's institution for the church to celebrate, but it's also a meal that's a sacrament where, where Christ and the Holy Spirit uses it to feed us and strengthen us and open our eyes to Christ, uh, who is the Savior and the Lord of this world. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Please join me now in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for all your blessings known and unknown to you to us. We thank you, O Father, for creating us in your image, for providing all that we need to live in your creation, for ruling over the nations of this world. But mostly we are bound to praise you for your great love with which you have drawn us to yourself in Christ and made us to sit in heavenly places with him, as the scripture says. Truly, he is our peace, the one who brings us back to you. And so, with all the hosts of heaven, we worship and magnify your glorious name, forevermore praising you, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of the majesty of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Most gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose once offering up of himself upon the cross we commemorate before you, we pray you to bless and sanctify us along with these, your gifts of bread and the cup, which are set before us on this table, that we may receive by faith Christ crucified for us and so feed upon him that he may be made, that he be made, that we be made one with him and with each other. And in union with Christ's offering for us, we offer ourselves, our souls, and our bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. 
We ask you mercifully to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving made through Christ. And in fellowship with all the faithful in heaven and earth, we ask and pray that you would fulfill in us the purpose of your redeeming love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be the glory and the praise forever and ever. And together we say, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are they who take refuge in Him. So it says the psalmist, and that is absolutely true of Jesus Christ. But take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink.
Let us pray. Almighty, gracious, heavenly Father, we give you eternal praise and thanks that through your holy gospel and the sacrament, you have again offered and presented to us your most precious treasure, who is the true bread of heaven and the food of eternal life, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we heartily ask you to grant that we may receive him and partake of him in true faith now and forever, and be so nourished by his flesh and blood that we may be set free from all evil and increase daily in all goodness to your glory. Through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 310, Rejoice the Lord is King.
And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Just want to turn your attention to the bulletin or the insert in the bulletin relative to um, our calendar. Thursday night Bible study is ongoing. Yeah, one more week before Thanksgiving. One more week before Thanksgiving. There will be a collection, the Thanksgiving offering um, on November 20th for the denomination. Next week. That's next week. Okay. Um, Pastor Jeff's class on um, the Distinctives of the Reformed Faith has concluded, and today we start in our Christian education a look at Martha, Martin Luther's Christmas book and the various Christmas stories therein, and Elder Klaus will lead the lesson for today. And then immediately after Christian Ed, we would like to uh, recruit some help for a little project of moving the chairs out of the sanctuary in order to do a carpet cleaning. I would suggest that we get a crew to take up the hymnals first, lest they fall all over the place when we're moving chairs. So if we collect the hymnals, put them back, maybe on a table in the classroom, stack them there, and then begin to move the chairs into the classrooms and the narthex. I don't know if the chairs are stackable. Yeah, they are. They are stackable. Okay. Let, let me suggest, and Alan's the one leading this project, but I think we should put the hymnals on the countertops because they are going to clean those. Oh, okay. So they have to be able to move the tables. Are they going to clean in there too as well? Okay. So what countertops? In the, in the kitchen. In the kitchen. Yeah. Place the hymnals in the kitchen then. Very good. So... We're not going to be moving chairs into the classrooms then. As little as possible, yeah. Right. Uh, Alan, what's your plan? Well, <laughs> I mean. I had an idea. I tried, I tried to call this morning, but it was, you were probably driving. Right, I didn't like that. But, I mean, right, basically all the carpets will be clean and room that has carpets. So we'll have to move things into the kitchen and the bathrooms, really. Those are the only rooms that are tiled with that carpet. So. We'll, I mean, pretty soon we'll, we'll find out how much we can fill those, how much we can fill into those rooms, and we'll, we'll engineer it today. But I even thought about that. It wouldn't be a perfect carpet cleaning, but I know we can stack these chairs at least five high. And it occurred to me that maybe we could keep them in the row 
determine which row and just go to the center and go five high so that when we come back, we'll know where the chairs were originally and be able to just put them back where they were. Um, again, if you miss this strip, it would miss a strip over there, but it would be a whole lot easier on the manpower. Just a thought. Yeah, we, there have been a lot of thoughts. Um, another one is just take a photograph mm -hmm. so we see how it goes. But if we can get a lot of the chairs out of here, we still would have to leave some and stack them. But see, the thing is, I'm assuming the carpet cleaners could move, do a little bit of movement. And so if we have like three stacked, maybe they're willing to drag them over a little bit and be able to clean that. You know, they put aluminum foil underneath the legs. And, so I don't know. We'll let Alan finally tell us what to do. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes today, and I mean, I'll, I'll come here tomorrow if I, if I have to help adjust anything, I will, but, yeah. Or you could all take one home. <laughs> anything else? Okay, let's enjoy some, hi, uh, Leah, excuse me, Leah. For those uh, listening virtually, Leah's expressing her thanks to the church for their support and comfort um, with the death of her mom. So thank you. She thanks you. All right, let's be dismissed.